Okay, welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a few moments and pray, and then we'll get going with the study. So, Father, thanks for an opportunity to gather and an opportunity to hear you. Uh, we pray that our ears would be attuned and open to what you want to say, what you want to do, what you want to reveal. I ask that we can lay aside the things that distract us. We can lay aside the things that just crowd out and crowd into our mind, and I pray that uh, we would allow for just a time for you to speak, a time for you to inspire, a time for you to encourage, a time for you to correct, a time for you to just really uh, speak some simplicity and some truth into our hearts and our lives. So tonight we ask that you have your way. I pray that we would yield to your Holy Spirit, and I ask that he would uh, just just clearly and, and just really in, in a way that we can understand, speak and, and give us some truth tonight. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We thank you you're here and we welcome you here. We ask that you'd have your way. We give this time to you if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. Could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to First Peter chapter two and verse two. First Peter chapter two and verse two. If you need a Bible, uh, they're located on the tables there where you're seated. Feel free to use them. 1 Peter 2.2 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow in your salvation. Alright, thanks. Uh, Peter here is uh, using... <clears throat> he, he's, he's speaking to new believers as talking about newborn babies. And the idea behind that is that... Uh, and he uses a term that's used also in the Gospel of John. If you look in 1 Peter 1.23, uh, it speaks of being born again. And so he's speaking of a spiritual birth. And the idea that, you know, this could be an old person, it could be a young person, it could be a child, it could be a full-grown adult, that's not really the, the issue that he's addressing here. The issue he's addressing here are people that are coming into some type of a spiritual relationship, some type of a spiritual awakening, some type of a spiritual change with God. And, and so he's addressing them. And he uses the term, he says, well, like a newborn baby. And he specifically is going to speak to certain characteristics of a newborn baby that we should have as, as a people that have been born again, as we, as people who have been born of the Spirit, of people who have had a spiritual experience, an awakening, a birth, however you want to see it, but God's done something in our lives. And he's trying to encourage people to to move into a certain type of relationship and a certain type of understanding of how we're to grow in that. And And this applies to all of us. It applies to anyone that he would be writing to. This isn't specifically being written to people who just came to know Jesus yesterday. It's not being written to people who just came to know Jesus last month or last year or, or any time frame. It's not really time dependent. It has more to do with an attitude. It has more to do with the way we see ourselves, the way we see Him. It has more to do with recognizing 
that we just don't know everything and that there's still room for growth and maturity and for life to take place. And in, there's a portion of this that is also speaking to a group of people that Peter's writing to within the church. This is a general epistle. So this is being uh, sent out and, and being sent around to different churches. So each of these churches have different issues. They all have different strengths, different weaknesses, different leadership. Uh, they have different congregations. They have all have their own unique things that are going on within the churches. And so the things that you read in something like First Peter, this isn't for just one church, but this is for the church at large, just for all of us. And, and so he is, in a sense, speaking to people, and he's addressing an issue by saying that we should be like newborn babies. And he's addressing groups of people, a specific group of people, that consider themselves to be mature. In other words, there were groups of people that even in the early church that began, began to, and I'm going to put this in finger quotes, that's for people who can't see me, that they began to outgrow, that's in the finger quotes, the simple elements of the gospel. Like they saw themselves as, oh, well, we want to get into the deeper things. And we're going to outgrow the simple elements of the gospel. So he's addressing people that saw themselves that way. And in not so so subtle terms, he's letting them know they're not that. That they haven't outgrown the gospel. They haven't outgrown the simplicity of, of what the gospel is about. They haven't outgrown the basic principles that Jesus laid down in the gospels. And, and they would never outgrow them. And that was an important thing, though. Because uh, spiritual pride is a real thing. And you have to remember that people that came out of the old religion here, and the old religion, Judaism, that they were a part of, there was a spiritual pride to that. People knew the Old Testament scriptures. People had been taught under certain rabbis. People had a certain level of education. They, they knew certain things. They had certain knowledge. And it was that knowledge that would set them apart. And it was something that they would look at and they would be proud of. You know, you can see Paul at certain points, uh, in, in when he's writing his letters, how he would refer back to his credentials in Judaism. Uh, he was a Pharisee. And so he would say, well, I was a Pharisee, but I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So I was like a top Pharisee. I was educated by Gamaliel, who was one of the top rabbis. And so he let people know. And there was... And of course, when he was doing it, he would say afterwards, like, I'm speaking foolishly, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. But people didn't speak foolishly when they would brag about that kind of stuff. They were actually really proud of that, and they were actually calling on that as credentials to say, you need to listen to me because I've got all of these things that say that I know what I'm talking about. I was educated by this rabbi, I know this much scripture, I'm this kind of a... a of a Pharisee, whatever it was, and they expected people to listen to them and listen to what they had to say. So this kind of spiritual pride was something that was really common. And so you had these people that came out of the old religion who came into Christianity and they brought with them certain things from the old religion. One of those things was spiritual pride. And so they would come in and they'd be like, okay, well, what do we need to know? They lay down the gospel for them. All right, we got that. What else do we need to know? No, it doesn't work that way. You need to live that. What do you mean? That. The simplicity of that. What it means to live by faith. What it means to live in love. What it means to live in forgiveness. What it means to live in mercy. What it means to be a person of grace to the people around you. And there were just certain things, certain principles, certain simple things that we were expected to actually live and actually demonstrate through our lives that it's not a matter of just knowledge. And it's not a matter of just memorizing those things. It's not a matter of just saying, okay, well, I've been instructed in A, B, and C. Well, no, now I've got to go live that. Because that's how we're going to grow in it. That, that, that's, there's no other way. And, and so Jesus, when he was teaching, he would say things that people didn't want to hear. 
We were talking about this. And one of the things that he would say that people didn't want to hear is that if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, what do you have to be? Become as a little child. They didn't want to hear that. Because these people, they, they looked at children and there was no respect for children. In other words, they didn't look at children and say, well, I want to become like this child. They've grown up. And, and, and children were not respected. Children were not listened to. Children didn't have anything to offer. Children weren't uh, to, to bring about any kind of truth into an adult's life. And I'm not saying that's true or false. I'm just saying that's the way they saw children. That was a cultural perception of children. And so you've got Jesus saying in this culture that says these children have nothing to offer us, they have nothing to say, they have nothing to teach us, they have nothing that we really want to hear, they're kids. Jesus is saying, well, you've got to become as one of these little kids if you really want to be part of, you really want to understand, you really want to enter into, you really want to live what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is all about. And that made absolutely no sense within the culture. It just didn't make any sense. And you'd say lots of hard things like that. Lots of things. Like how many times should you forgive somebody? Up to seven times? That's a generous offer. You think about somebody that that is mean to you one time. Do you want to forgive them one time? Sometimes no. How about two times? Definitely not. Three times. Three strikes, you're out. Well, that's baseball, but that's not Christianity. And that's not the gospel. And so when you know a disciple came to Jesus, he's like, well, how many times should we forgive people? Up to seven times? He thought he was being super duper spiritual by saying that. Because, I mean, all right, so we're going to take this concept of forgiveness and we're going to take it to a ridiculous extreme. We're going to go seven times. Seven. We'll forget. If you, if you hurt me, 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 you hurt me. I'm still going to forgive you. Seven times. Seven. And Jesus looked at him and he's like, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. That's completely ridiculous. Seven was completely ridiculous. Now, 490, and you might as well just say as many times as they hurt you, right? Because there ain't enough hours in the day to hurt you 490 times. But you think about how it's like, all right, so as many times as somebody's going to gonna take something or do something, there needs to be that much forgiveness. Well, that was what Jesus was saying. But requiring us to begin to change our minds about that is actually bringing us into a place where we begin to understand how much we've been forgiven. It's like, how many times have we been forgiven? How many offenses? How many things that we have done? And it starts adding up 70 times 7, probably more than that, in the course of a lifetime. But understanding that and understanding that this concept of how big is God's grace? Well, bigger than you think. How big is God's forgiveness? Bigger than you think. How big is God's mercy? A lot bigger than you think. And the only way that we begin to even be, I mean, really understand that is to begin to practice that and begin to live it. Because, I mean, people that live in a small Jesus world, man, their hearts are really small toward others. It's the big Jesus that, and the big Jesus world that God calls us into, so that our hearts can be big toward others too. But that requires us to begin to change the way we see things. And so, you've got somebody like Peter, he's right in the church, and he's saying stuff here in this epistle, and, and he's speaking to those people. He's speaking to like those small Jesus people. Like they brought their spiritual pride over. They brought their old religion over. They brought what they, they, they had come out of. It always amazes me that people, they're going to leave behind something, but then they want to bring it with them. Why? Why? You left for a reason. Why are you trying to drag that thing you left behind into something new? I know you're familiar with it, but why? Is it just comfortable? But you wanted to leave that. Is, is, it, is it just you're afraid to leave it behind? It's time to go. 
And so people that were dragging these things into the new way, they were dragging these things into the, the kingdom, they're dragging these things into the, the life of Jesus, well, they had no place there. They had no place there. That spiritual pride had no place there. And Peter's pointing that out. He's like, yeah, yeah, you need to be like newborn babes. Who? You, you mature people, think you're mature. All you people that think that you got it and you understand it and that you need something deeper. Well, you know what you need? You need more. You need bigger Jesus. You need more Jesus. Because then there's more forgiveness and there's more love and there's more grace and there's more mercy. And those are the things that we're called to major on. Not our knowledge of whatever it is we think we need to be knowledgeable of. The knowledge portion of it pales in comparison to the actual life portion of what God has called us into. The actual relationship portion of what God has called us into. The knowledge part just isn't as important. I mean, Jesus didn't call scholars when He called His disciples. He called a bunch of guys that, that they weren't scholars. Fishermen were not scholars. Zealots were not scholars, necessarily. Tax collectors were not scholars, necessarily. None of these people were that he called. And the, and the real issue, what he was looking for there, wasn't a scholar. Because scholarship isn't the part that's really honored within the kingdom of God. The part that's honored within the kingdom of God is loving big, is forgiving big, is, is life together. That's the part that matters. Those are the parts people care about, parts that Jesus cares about, I should say, and that we need to and people need to care about. So Peter is addressing that through this verse because people that thought that they were, that they had outgrown, again, finger quotes, the simple truths, the simple elements of the gospel need to understand they mean to be like newborn babies. And they probably just didn't want to hear that, right? If you can imagine. They didn't want to hear that. The people that I've known that have been a part of this church that were always looking for the deeper things, they didn't want to hear they need to be like newborn babies. They didn't want to hear that need to major on the stuff that they already knew. Well, I already know that stuff. Well, then live it. Oh, I already know about you know forgiving people. Then forgive people. I already know about loving people. Good. Then love people. Well, I love some people. Right. Love them more. We never reach the end of it. You never reach the end of God's love. You never reach the end of God's forgiveness. You never reach the end of God's mercy. And for sure you never reach it through you. In other words, you can show mercy all day, 24-7, you know, 365 days a year, and you still ain't reaching the end of God's mercy. Even if that's all you did was pour out mercy every single day, you still can't reach the end of it. There's more. And so the reality that we need to begin to enter into is that the simple things are the things that God cares about, and the simple things are the things that matter. And so our renewal as believers isn't, well, then I've got to go find the deep things. No, our renewal as believers is to become like newborn babies and keep feeding, keep receiving on what God is willing to give us. What's that? The simple elemental things of the gospel. We have to understand that we're still far from maturity in Christ. And if we can understand that, then we understand that we have so much potential to grow. And we can build in an expectation for growth in things that matter. I mean, I don't know how many years I can be at this and still feel like I'm just starting. Because that's the way it seems. So when it comes to forgiveness and it comes to love, there's so much more to give. I got so much more to learn. I got so much more to pour out in my life. That's a lot of years of hearing the same thing over and over again. Right. Do it. Live it. Live it. 
I mean, if the kingdom of God was just about taking in material and then taking a test on it, we'd be doing pretty good, right? Take your test, move on to, you know, 102, class 102, and class 103, and class 201, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Because we love that stuff. But that's just not how it works. We're in a master's, you know, like a mastery class. And we don't move on. Why? Because we just don't reach the end of it. There's more love that God wants to show me. Good. Well, I need to, I need to put myself in a position to see and receive and hear and, and experience that. I need to put myself in a position to give that. It's a mastery that God calls us to. Not just passing the test. It's not a test. It's a life. It's not an exam. It's a person. I mean, it's what, it's who we are. It's who we are. And so that's what needs to grow in us. And so, keeping with the character of the new way, God wants to pour into us. They use a word here in this verse in 1 Peter 2 2. And some of your Bibles will say crave. I don't know what, what all of them say, but there's a word that crave is a word that's sometimes translated there. Uh, desire. But it's a really strong word. Whatever, whatever word is used in your translation, that word crave or desire is a super strong word. And the idea behind it is to get an appetite for it, a yearning after it. You think about newborn babies. They ain't got too many jobs, right? Newborn babies pretty much eat, sleep, and poop. I don't know about anything else. They'll cry if they need something, right? But their main jobs are eating and sleeping and pooping and letting you know when they need something. And that's and that's what happens, and so that happens over a period of time, and and then you don't sleep very much, but it's still good. And then they grow up, and that's how it works. Well, he's calling us into that state. That's what he's calling us into. What's our job? We're gonna we're gonna eat. That's what he's concentrating on. All right. So let's just talk about eating. We'll talk about sleeping and pooping some other time. Maybe never. <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is, is that a baby, a newborn baby's job. I mean, they're, they're going to eat. That's what they do. They're going to consume, and and their body tells them that they need to consume. They just know. And I don't know that that's rational. I have no idea. But there's something in them that tells them, "I'm hungry. I need to eat." I'm hungry, I need to eat. And it comes up every now and then, I'm hungry, I need to eat. And how they let you know, they cry about it, and you know they need to eat. And that's it. And and so, what what we do is anticipate that. If you ever had kids, you know this, that you do. You anticipate it, and you put them on a feeding schedule. So they, that you don't get woken up at 2.07 in the morning. You wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, feed them, so you can go back to sleep, and hopefully sleep at least until 5. So you put them on that schedule, and then they'll come a night at some point where they sleep through the night. Thank goodness. But we're anticipating that hunger. But that hunger is a natural thing. And they don't care if it's 207. And they don't care if it's 5 in the morning. And they don't care if it's midnight. And they don't care when it is. They're just hungry. Now, we're being called to that. That's kind of hunger we're being called to. That... It's something that just rises up in us. And it's not necessarily, and I'm talking about from the baby's perspective, it's not on anybody's schedule, right? It just, it happens. And you feel it, and you want to get fed. And then you want to get fed. And then you want to get fed because it's your job. That's your job. And and so, in this passage, he's saying that we need to crave and so he describes what we're supposed to be craving, what we're supposed to be yearning for, what we're supposed to get that appetite for. And, and he starts off with the idea of, uh, there's a word used in King James, sincere. And in some of your Bibles, it's the word pure. Now, I've talked about purity before. And we try to put all these definitions on purity. But pure in the Bible, and it's the word that's used here, pure in the Bible is, just, is a simple definition of pure. 
Pure just means of one substance. That's it. And, and you can try to make it something else and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about when it comes to it, but the base meaning of the word pure is one, it's one thing. It's like pure gold is just gold. That means there's nothing else in it. You know, pure whatever. You need whatever word you put after that. If it's pure, that means that's all it is. Pure silver is just silver. And so it's only one thing. That's it. And so what this is, what this passage is saying is they are, so we're going to crave this thing. We're going to desire, a strong word desire, get an appetite for something that is pure. It's one thing. In other words, it's true. It's without any falsehood in it. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. And it says that the pure, and it's a spiritual milk. And, and that's what it's describing of the word. It's that, that pure, that, that truth, that without fault, so that one thing, that milk, and it's of the word. And there's a, it's that interesting passage that, uh, the word, there's a word used here, it's reasonable. And it's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where it talks about be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, you know, all that stuff is because that's your reasonable. Some, some Bibles say spiritual act of worship, but the actual word there is just your reasonable act of worship. In other words, that's what's expected. And so what should be expected of us, what, what should be reasonable is this, that we have an earnest desire, a craving, a strong word craving for one thing. And that's what God has to say. That's reasonable. That's not special. That's not just for special people. That's not just for people who are supposed to be pastors or evangelists or teachers or missionaries or something. Nope, that's reasonable for every single one of us. In God's eyes, it is a reasonable thing for us to have a, 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 a strong word craving for the one thing. And that's what God has to say. That's what's reasonable. And understand that this isn't talking about ritual. This isn't ritual. And here's the becomes the issue. Because when religion becomes about ritual, it leads to what we started off with here. It leads to a spiritual pride. And it leads us away from the simplicity. And I mean simplicity of the gospel. It's always easier just to do something because it's prescribed to do it. It's really hard to do something because it's just really a part of our lives. And those two things don't go together. When, when Jesus does something in you and, and, and He's moving in you and there's love that's growing in you and there's mercy that's growing in you and there's all these things that's growing in you, well, that becomes a natural outpouring from who you are, from in here. To have that actually happen, that's growth. That, that's growth. That's God doing a work of maturity in us. Is to actually live out the things that He said. To actually see like, love coming out of our lives. Actually mercy and grace coming out of our lives. Actually forgiveness coming out of our lives in abundance. See, that, that's really something. To go through the motions of doing the same things over and over again, even though that's comfortable and that's easier, that's not really something. And those are the people that, and at least a lot of the people that Peter's speaking to here, it's like they wanted to know, well, what are we supposed to do over and over again? How do we do this? Because that's what they were used to doing. He's like, yeah, that's not really it. And he calls them back to a state where all most of these people had been around newborn babies. 
And he calls them back to a state that's instinctual, not taught. He calls them back to a state that, that these babies are responding to something that's deep inside of them, desiring that and, and looking for that. Their job is to consume that milk. That's their job. But it wasn't because somebody taught them to consume milk. It's because they need it. It's because their body tells them that. It's because it's a natural state. It's something that's programmed into them. Well, that's the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. To make this a natural thing, a natural state of who we are. That we're going to live this way and we're going to grow this way and we're going to become this way. Not because somebody tells us, okay, now go do A, B, and C. Because it rises up in us, it's who we are. And if you can understand what I'm saying, you can get a hold of at least a little bit of what it means to grow as a Christian. Because that's what it really means. It isn't memorization. It isn't a set thing or schedule or whatever it is that we try to make it into. It's actually as an outgrowth, a natural outgrowth of who we are living out the gospel. That's what it is. Of being loving people, of being forgiving people, of being people of grace toward one another. Of caring about each other. That's what it means to grow up. And so Peter calls him back to that. Now you think about how a baby does things. You know, I, I quoted, or I, I referred back to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 31. Somebody want to read that? Matthew 18, 31. That's Matthew eighteen thirty one. Hmm. I actually looked up that verse. I must have written it down wrong. Oh, well. the verse I'm looking for uh, has to do with Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, "You want to really be in the kingdom, then you got to become like little children." And it might have been the verse in front of that, or a couple verses in front of that, or something. But the idea behind it is that when Jesus called children unto himself, like they, they'd bring the children to Jesus and the disciples try to send them away, right? You remember that part? And, and Jesus was like, no, let the children come unto me. Because in their minds, having those kids around was a big burden on him. Like, he didn't want that. Because again, children were considered bothersome in their culture. And so you didn't bother the master with a bunch of kids coming around. And so they'll try to get him to leave. But Jesus is like, no, let him come unto me. Why? Because that's what he was building his kingdom on. He's building his kingdom on a bunch of people. They're going to be like little kids. Yes? Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, it's also in the beginning of Matthew 18, 1 through 1. Oh, okay. Same thing? Yeah. All Okay, so that was starting in Matthew 18.1? Yeah, and there was five. Alright. And what was yours? Uh, Mark 10.14. Mark 10.14. Alright. I'm just repeating it so people on the podcast can get the verses. <laughs> but something that you read there in Matthew 18, is it, unless you turn your life around. So in other words, it's not 
it's not our normal course. The normal course is not to be as little kids. You can't, we outgrow that. We're taught not to be as little kids. And so we go about life in a different way. But as with a lot of things with Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he says things that are somewhat offensive or somewhat contradictory or somewhat uh, contrary to the way that we've been taught. In other words, we've been taught be mature and act like an adult. Correct. I mean, I think most of us were taught that. Well, then Jesus comes along and says, but when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to what he's establishing, the only way we're ever going to enter into it is if we turn our life around and become like those little kids. And that's offensive. We live our whole life saying, okay, well, you need to be an adult. Right. you got to pay your bills. you got to do all this stuff. Well, that's correct. But if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to enter his kingdom, if you're going to be used in his kingdom, if you're going to live in his kingdom, you have to turn your life around and become as a child. That's hard. It's just true. And, and so understanding that is to understand that it's a decision that we have to make to turn our lives around. See that happen. And that was, I believe, what Peter was telling the people that he was writing to in his epistle was that they really need to turn their lives around. Because you've got these people in their spiritual pride and you've got these people that thought, well, I need something a little deeper. I need something a little more uh, spiritual. And Peter's like, no, you need the gospel. You need the simplicity, the truth of the gospel. Because you need to live it. And and so he was calling people, and I believe he's still calling people, to turn their lives around in order to lay aside all of these principles that we think we're going to apply to the kingdom of God that Jesus says don't apply. I mean, people want to apply all kinds of stuff to the kingdom of God. They want to apply all these business principles. They want to apply all these gross principles. They want to apply all these principles to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is just saying, the kingdom of God is made up of little kids. Children. Those are the people that actually enter in. And if we're going to enter in and we're going to be useful in the kingdom and, and we're going to put ourselves in a position to, to have any influence and power flowing through us, kingdom-wise, then we've got to turn our lives around and become as little children to see that happen. And he also used a phrase in there in Matthew 18 where he says that we have to humble ourselves to do that. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah, because it's, it, it is a, a humbling thing to become as a little child. Because little children are dependent. They're dependent. And we love being independent. I mean, as soon as I could move out of my house, my parents' house, I moved out. I love my independence. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not talking for you. But for myself, I, I was willing to work two, three jobs in order to afford an apartment so I could live on my own. Because I valued it that much. And so for me to say, yeah, I need to come into my father's house now and be completely dependent on him as a child, that's a humbling thing. Are we willing to do that? And if we're willing to do that, then that's where the power, that's where the anointing, that's where the truth of the kingdom resides. Is in that humble place. Is in that place of dependence. Because it, describing a, a newborn baby, I mean, one of the things that a newborn baby, a newborn baby needs 
And I've said this lots of times, but I'm going to say it again. We're not like wolves. Our offspring has to be taken care of. They have to be taught. Our offspring, they have to be protected. They have to be kept warm. We're not wild animals. And and we can't see our kids like that. You know, people expect their children to be able to make decisions. Like even little kids to be able to make decisions for themselves. Like things that they have no way of making decisions about. Because we're not wolves. And so our children depend on us to teach them things. Our children depend on us to take care of them. And you as younger and the younger we are, the more we're dependent on someone, on our parent to take care of us. So a little baby, a newborn baby has needs. And, and nutrition is one of those needs. And about the only way that newborn baby can express that need is to cry. But it's up to somebody else to bring that newborn baby the food, the milk that that baby needs. That's up to somebody else. That baby's not going to hop up out of the crib, jump over the rail, and run down to the fridge. Can't. The baby can't even turn itself over. If you've been around newborns, you understand what I'm saying. They can't do anything. They're helpless. And they reach that point, it's like they need this thing. As an adult, can you put yourself in a position to need without trying to do it yourself? Because that's what he says. And man, I, I listen to that, and even me just saying that, and it's like, how hard is that? If you're used to taking care of yourself, how hard is it to just need and allow God to care for you? To bring you that milk. How difficult is that? How humbling is that? What a weird spot that is. But what a good place to understand what the kingdom is. Because ultimately, we have a provider. His name is Jesus. And as much as we give lip service to that, until we're in a position where we can't provide for ourselves and He needs to, has to provide for us, and we receive that, we really don't understand it, do we? Because we can say, yeah, He's my provider, and, and yet we, we go out and we work and we do whatever we're going to do, and then maybe that's our part in, in what we do, and He provides us with a job, and that's fine. But there needs to come points in our life where we're able to sit back and recognize His provision, not because we went out and worked, but His provision because He cares for us, He's looking out for us, and He brought something into our life because we needed it. And to be able to be able to receive that, and to see it for what it is. That, that's a point of growth for us. To be able to allow our Father to love us like that, and to care for us. And to bring us that need that we have, that nutriment that we need. And I mean, the gospel in its simplest form is what we need. If we want to talk spiritual, I mean, that's the sincere milk. Because the gospel in its, in its just the simplest form. Allowing that to be fed to us. Receiving that. You know, the Bible talks about how you know the person who has been forgiven much loves much, and being forgiven much it has more to do with the way that you choose to see yourself than it has to do with the the size of God's forgiveness. Do you understand what I just said? God's forgiveness is huge in all of our lives. We, there, there's no doubt about that. The, the difference comes in how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as being forgiven much? Well, then you're going to love much. Do you see how much God has poured out His forgiveness in your life? Then you're going to be you're going to be loving much. I mean, even even people in Jesus' day that weren't like particularly spiritual were able to understand that. Like Jesus told you know, told a parable. He's like, if one guy's forgiven a hundred dollars and another guy's forgiven a million dollars, which one's going to love the guy that forgave him? 
more. The one that was forgiven a hundred dollars, the one that was forgiven a million dollars. And the guy's like, well, I guess the guy that was forgiven a million dollars. Yeah! 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 Forgive him much, you love much. And so part of the simplest form of the gospel in our life is that's part of it. So forgiveness is part of the simplest form of the gospel. Love is part of the simplest form of the gospel. And then finding ourselves in the teachings of Jesus is like, well, all right, I've been forgiven much. But I mean, really seeing it for what you've been forgiven. I mean, I got a real heart for certain kinds of people. If you've been around me long enough, you know that. I have a heart for people that nobody else really cares about. Why? Because I've been forgiven much. Specifically in certain areas of my life. And I'm going to be patient with that. And then I'm not so patient with other things. Right. Absolutely. But there's certain things that I'm super patient with because I've been forgiven so much. And and putting myself in a position to see that more and more and more allows for more and more love. And then other areas of my life where I can see it more, allowing for areas of love in those areas too, I'm going to love much. But that process is that process of becoming like a newborn and feeding on that simplicity of what Jesus teaches, what He says. You know, I, I can... I preached out of the Gospels, I think, for the first 10, 12 years I was here. I didn't even get out of the Gospels. I just kept preaching out of the Gospels over year after year. People were talking to me about it. They're like, you can't just keep doing that. Yeah, I can. I, I, I mean, I can. Seriously. And I eventually moved on to, do, to teach on other things, but I just couldn't even bring myself to leave the Gospels because it's like we just got to feed on this. We've got to feed on this. We've got to feed on the simplicity of this. And another aspect that a baby not only has certain needs, and we can call them needs, but that a baby also seeks, also wants. There's a desire. And you can lump need and desire in the same category, but they're not really. Needs and desires aren't necessarily the same. And so, a baby, though, is going to want that nourishment, not just need it. There's just something about it that there's a taste. There's something that they like about it, and they're going to want at least most babies. And so they're going to continually seek after it. They're going to continually want it. And and that want of personal nourishment is evidence of life. It's a longing for it. I want it. Because I can recognize, man, I need this. But it's another thing when I really begin to want it. And And that's what I want to pray for in us is a want, is a desire for this. A desire to be nourished like that. A desire for the sincere milk. A desire for the, the simplest things of the gospel to really take root through us. In us. And like I said before, if the baby doesn't get what the baby wants or seeks or needs, then the baby cries. So the basis of the gospel should be able to be comprehended by children. Uh, and that's why it's not really about huge theological degrees. The gospel is not about that. The gospel is not about having the, the biggest smarts. The gospel is not about having the, the biggest and highest degrees. The gospel isn't about the, the biggest and best education. Again, I'm not anti-education. I'm just telling you that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about those things. In fact, the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we teach, and the gospel that we live, that we live, should be able to be comprehended by children. It's not a complex philosophy. It's not a difficult doctrine, but it's simple and plain. That's what it is. Simple and plain. A child should be able to understand it. We like it more complicated because it allows us to ignore it. 
If something seems too complicated, we just ignore it. And you know that's true. You know. You, everybody knows that. You look at something, like if you pull out a sheet of directions and instructions on something, and they're super complicated, and there's a bunch of diagrams, and there's arrows pointing everywhere, and there's A, B, C, 1, 2, 3 diagram, and all that stuff, and you look at all that, you know, if I'm in the wrong kind of mood, I'll look at that, set it down, and ignore it. It's the way it is. Too complicated, don't want to think about it, don't want to do that. Well, if you can somehow make the gospel into this diagram of A, B, C, and D with figures 1, 2, and 3, and that there's so much small print that you can't comprehend it, you can't look at it, you don't want, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, you put it down and you ignore it. But that's not what the gospel is. That's just what we make it up to be. The gospel should be able to be comprehended by children. That's what the gospel is. And so if we can keep that in mind, when things got getting really complicated, I mean, people ask me questions about the gospel. And, and I'll tell you the truth, man. There's sometimes I look at somebody, ask me a question, and I'll just say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because I don't. I can't even understand it. And part of that is I don't want to understand it. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I don't need to understand some convoluted way of seeing God. I don't need to understand some complex way of understanding the gospel or anything like that. I don't need to know that. I need to know the simplicity of what it is, what Jesus said. Okay, he said this, this, and this. All right. Hey, you've been forgiven much. Go and love much. All right, I can do that. Well, maybe. I'll give it a shot. And being able to take hold of the simplicity of God, the simplicity of what He says, the simplicity of what He's given us. I mean, Jesus, He went about preaching His basic message, if you look at the beginning of the Gospels, repent and believe the Gospel. That was His basic message. And how do you preach that for an hour? Right? How do you teach that for an hour? Repent and believe the Gospel. Well, yeah. I remember I was in a, a in a city or a town, a little town. I was doing uh, seven days of evangelism in this town, and so I started off on a Sunday, preached a couple services, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, went out and just did door to door evangelism with the pastor every day, in street evangelism, and then preached the next Sunday, and next Sunday they had the service in the park out in the middle of town. And as I was preparing for it, and God does some miraculous things that week, uh, interpreting dreams, telling people their dreams, uh, just really weird, miraculous things. I, I said, all right, what am I going to do? And I just felt like God said, just preach the message of Jesus. I stood up in a park, I'm like, okay, repent and believe the gospel. That was my message. And, of course, I couldn't leave it at that. I had to expand a little bit. But that was the basic message. Because that's really the basic message. It's good enough for Jesus. Why we got to complicate it? Why we got to make it something that's not? Because we don't want to do it. That's why. We don't want to do it. So, we need to lay aside spiritual pride. We need to lay aside all these complexities and take hold of something simple in our lives. Because what Peter says at the end of this is that it's that that leads us to a full experience in God. What I was talking about tonight. Little baby. Full experience in God. Sincere milk of the Word. Full experience in God. Keeping it simple and living it, full experience in God. There's no more. There's none better. There's nothing more that we need to be running after. That is the full experience in Christ, in the Gospel. That's it. And so I wanted to lay this tonight in a simple form because I believe that it speaks to 
where the church is right now. Because we want to make it about all these things it's not. And we want to call it things that it's not. And we want to major on things that don't matter. And we want to talk about things that really have nothing to do with what Jesus has for us. We want to argue about things that aren't important. When it comes right down to it, it's just the simple things that change the world. It's the simple things that change us. It's the simple things that lead us into the fullness that God has for us. And so I can only encourage you toward that. So I want to pray for you just for a few minutes and just ask God to simplify some things, maybe clarify some things, maybe eliminate some things in us. But Heavenly Father, I pray for us tonight and I ask that you would uh, just be able to strip away things that don't matter. Start with any spiritual pride. I pray that any pride that we've had, any spiritual pride that is in me, in us, would be stripped away in the name of Jesus. God, anything that would just speak to uh, whatever feeds that in us, I just pray you'd strip that away. And I just ask you, God, that we would find ourselves uh, in, a, in a real humble place before you. You said, like, newborn babies. Right, newborn babies. Dependent. Dependent. Dependent on you. Dependent on your spirit. Just ask God that we'd have a real taste and a real desire. A real desire for your word, for what you have to say. God, you would teach us not to run away from what you say, but to have a real desire for it, a real want. I mean, we need it. We need your word. But I want to pray specifically for us tonight that we'd have a desire to hear what you say. A real want in us. A real want in me to hear what you have to say. Because tonight I pray it would be a people who just live it out. Something as simple as love that we love. Something as simple as forgiveness that we forgive. Something as simple as mercy that we're merciful. Yeah. Thankful. Thanks, God. Patient, kind. Let's ask that we would take hold of the things that you say that are so contrary. Recognize them as contrary. Turn to something better. Thanks, God. Maybe some things tonight that you just need to turn. As we're reading through those passages, they like, turn your life around, become like this little child. That's how you're going to enter the kingdom. That's how you're going to know the kingdom. That's how you're going to live the kingdom. That's how the kingdom is going to be manifested in you. That's how you find your place and you find your rest and you find your life in the kingdom is that you got to turn it around. Turn around in your thinking and turn around in your actions and turn around in what you think is important and what you think the way things are. And let God begin to define that instead of you.
Now we need you tonight, God. Jesus, we need you. Pray that we just be a bunch of people living it out. We give you thanks. Can you have your way in us, through us? Pray big love, big mercy, big grace, big forgiveness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Great to see you tonight. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.